As some of you know, I have spent more time in seminaries than is healthy for someone to spend. I have uh, been to four seminaries, the last of which was St. Mary's uh, here in Houston. And I've got to tell you, most of what I learned, I've forgotten. As a matter of fact, most of what I've learned my entire life, I've forgotten. And I continue to relearn them over and over and learn new things. That's what we do. We forget and we relearn and we relearn and we continue to learn. But there are some things that stand out that we will never forget. And for me, one of those things was on my very first day in my first seminary in Austin back in uh, <clears throat> 1737. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I believe it was, it was the Episcopal Seminary in Austin, and I believe it was 1982. Uh, the very first sermon that I heard and my entering class heard was from a professor who was uh, of moral theology and ethics, and he had the reputation of being a little bit eccentric, uh, Dr. Robert Cooper. And when he stood before us for the first time, I had him for three years, he looked at us and said, what are you here for? And he got from us the same response I just got. Nothing. <laughs> Nobody said anything. What are you here for? No one volunteered anything. He said, I know why you're here. I've read your entrance papers. I've read your essays. You're here because you want to see God face to face and behold His glory. And you want to be enlightened by the brilliance of His face as it shines upon you. He said, I know why you're here. That's why. I don't want to warn you. And he used to pace like I do. Actually, I pace like he did. But he used to go down and get in our faces when he was talking. I don't do that. That's what I do. But he said, let me remind you of a story from Exodus chapter 33 where Moses, Moses, the deliverer of his people, Moses, the one God summoned at the burning bush, to go back to Egypt from which he had escaped and demand that Pharaoh release the people. Moses, who had been there to administer and to oversee and to watch as God brought the ten plagues upon the Egyptian. Moses, the one who delivered the people across the Red Sea by the staff given to him. Moses, the one who went up on Mount Sinai who got the law from God. Moses, that Moses, was at the top of Mount Sinai and he asked God to see his face. And here's what God said to Moses, the deliverer of his people. And Dr. Cooper used to give all sorts of hand gestures when he uh, talked. And he said, God said to Moses, go over here by this rock. Hide yourself here. Turn that way and face. Don't look around. Stay there. I'm going to come back. I'm going to cover you with my hand. Don't you move. 
You stay behind the rock. I'm going to cover you with your face. And I'm going to pass by. And then I'm, don't move, Moses. I'm going to keep my hand there. And I'm going to withdraw my hand. And as I pass by, then you can look at me. And Dr. Cooper said to us, do people know what God just told Moses? The deliverer of his people? You understand what God did? And Moses said, let me see your face. God, the Almighty God, let Moses see not his face, but his backside. He said, let that sink in. What do you want God to show to you? Well, that was the first lesson in humility of many that I've had. And after 40 years after that, I've had more lessons in humility than I can count. But I've got to tell you that God, in His mercy, gives us glimpses of His face of His glory all the time. But we just don't see it. First of all, because our minds are on something else. Second is because we don't carry our beliefs firmly enough within us. Because we make the mistake, as Moses did, that it is in seeing that we believe. And that's wrong. In the spiritual realm, it is in the believing that we see. Belief is what gives us what is called spiritual sight. You know, I've spent uh, 11 years or so in the newspaper business as a reporter in the 1970s and then before when I was in college. And I've got to tell you, I've interviewed a lot of people about an event like a, an explosion or a hurricane or a tornado or some dramatic event where I get multiple witnesses. And it is always astonishing to me how the people who see the same thing with their eyes don't see the same thing with their eyes. Because we are through wherever our minds happen to be, conditioned to see what we think is going on. You know, there may have been four or five people. Our, our, our minds were never prepared, never prepared to have some catastrophic event happen right in front of our face. Especially today, if there's a pileup of cars and we're thinking of something, we don't see it. Now, some people do, and I used to interview the people who saw it. Then I'd interview pe people who said they saw it but saw something else and it turns out they were do doing something else in their car and not looking at that. But then when they look up and saw the after effects of it, they just filled in the blanks with their mind and thought they had seen it, but they didn't. We see the face of God by believing that He is who He says He is and by carrying that belief foremost in our minds and hearts. Our gospel lesson today from Mark chapter 9 is a story that's repeated also in Matthew and Luke. All three of the synoptic gospels have the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus in them with minor differences. 
the mountaintop experience of all mountaintop experiences. Jesus calls his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John, to go up a high mountain so they could pray. Jesus was making preparation with his three friends for the journey they would soon make down to Jerusalem for his final encounter with life and death. And so it was a very important time of prayer for Jesus. It was probably on Mount Tabor. I've been there some time, several times. You had, some of you had too. And when Jesus was on the mountain with them, suddenly something that is inexplicable, something that defies words, happened to Jesus. He was transfigured before them. That's a word we don't use very often. The Greek word metamorpho, we don't use metamorphosis very much either, do we? Jesus' countenance changed. His face began to gleam or glow or exude power or light. His garments physically changed to become a dazzling white, whiter and brighter than anything on earth. And suddenly with Him, in His altered state, His glorious state, there was Moses and there was Elijah with Him. Moses, who'd been dead about 1,200 years. Elijah, who'd been dead about 800 years. But they weren't dead. They illustrated exactly what I said at a funeral yesterday when I told the family, death isn't the end! This Scripture proves it. There is life beyond death. Now we know with Elijah, there's no evidence that he died. He was taken into heaven by the chariots of fire. But Moses was dead and buried on Mount Nebo by God. But here they were with Jesus on the top of the mountain discussing the events that would soon take place for Jesus. Inexplicably, the mountaintop experience of all. Jesus in His transfigured body with the giver of the law, Moses, and the main, first and greatest of the prophets, Elijah. Jesus summarizing all of the law and the prophets in, prophets in His own body. And into that comes St. Peter coming up and said, Lord, it is great that we're here. Let's build something. Does that sound like the first pope? Let's build something up here. A booth for you, a booth for Moses, a booth for... But we're told he didn't know what he was saying because they were terrified. And if that terror weren't enough, then a dark cloud descended upon them from above and a voice spoke from the cloud saying, this is my beloved Son Listen to him. And suddenly, Moses and Elijah were gone. The cloud was gone. The voice was gone. And there were Peter, James, and John and Jesus alone on the mountain. And Jesus instructs them, instructs them to tell no one about this until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And we're told in, by Mark's version, which probably is based on the preachings of St. Peter, 
They said nothing to anyone except they questioned what did rising from the dead mean? Jesus had already told them twice that he would be handed over and put to death but would rise on the third day. And then during Holy Week, he would tell them a third time that he was going to be handed over and put to death that he would rise on the third day. And we know before this event that they believed him. Now they were weak. They had doubts. Sometimes the, the bigger our faith is, the more we have doubts when we have a lot invested in it. And we know that these three apostles believed because they had seen Jesus raise the dead. They had seen him calm the storm. He, they'd seen him heal the sick. They'd seen him expel demons. They believed, and so they saw. And it always gives me a smile to know that there was Moses with them. Moses who was not allowed to see the face of God on Sinai, saw God's face in the Lord Jesus on top of the holy mountain. The fact is, what we believe leads us to see certain things. Uh, we often miss things because our emotions are in the way. And we are clouded in what we see. And it impacts our faith. When we let the doubts, because of events in our lives or sicknesses or financial setbacks, bring us down to the point where we're not able to see God when he gives us a glimpse of his face as he does at this and every mass. He reveals himself. He shows you his face. You glimpse his glory at the mass. What do you think happens when I hold the host up and say, behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. And that's you. You are here at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And He reveals Himself to you. You touch Him. You hear His voice. You take Him into you. And you believe. It's believing that helps us see. It's not in the seeing that we believe. Uh, one of the greatest words ever spoken about how seeing betrays us, how our eyes betray us, happened of all places in game one of the 1988 World Series, the Los Angeles Dodgers against the Oakland Athletics. Uh, this was uh, the very first game, and it was the bottom of the ninth inning. The Athletics were leading by a score four to three. Dodgers had a runner on first base, two outs, and the manager of the Dodgers put in a pinch hitter, uh, a player who had been injured most of that year, who was actually far too injured to be playing, Kirk Gibson. He'd had torn cartilage in both knees and tendon problems in his legs. The man could barely walk, and the Dodgers manager put him in to face at that time, one of the best relievers in baseball. At this, it was Dennis Eckersley. My mind told me this morning when I looked at the video of it that it was Raleigh Fingers. And I was incorrect. 
I believe something that had impacted my, my seeing. I looked at the video and I saw Raleigh Fingers on the mound. It wasn't, it was Dennis Eckersley. Raleigh Fingers, who, they're both in the Hall of Fame. They both pitched for the same team. But Raleigh Fingers had retired in 1985. This was Dennis Eckersley, one of the best pitchers in the American League. He got a three and two count on Kirk Gibson and Gibson looked pathetic. He could barely get to the plate. He fouled off a couple of pitches, and when he swung, he, he could barely stand up. His knees were so weak. He hit one on the ground, barely made contact. It went down the first baseline foul, and Gibson couldn't even get out of the batter's box. His knees were shot. And some of us who watched that game, including me, thought, that's crazy. They don't need a, a man who's that hurt playing. And then Dennis Eckersley on a three and two count, threw one of his incredible sliders, and Kirk Gibson swung at it, lost his balance on a three and two pitch, lunged at it with his bat, his, he's a left-handed batter, his, right, his left hand came off the bat, he swung only with his right hand, made contact with the ball, as sort of in a crouch position, and made contact. And it looked like it was going to be a pop fly to the outfield. And it kept going, and it kept going, and it kept going, and it kept going. 395 feet later, it landed in the middle of the right field bleachers, and the Dodgers had won 5-4, to four, winning the first game of the World Series and going on to win the series four games to one. And here's where the statement came in. The great Hall of Fame announcer, Jack Buck, said five times, I don't believe what I saw. I don't believe what I saw. I don't believe what I saw. Then he addressed his commentator with him in the booth, the great Bill White. He said, Bill, did I just see what I just saw? What a thing to say. And then he said this, Bill, slap me, slap my face so that I know that I'm alert. Wasn't prepared to see. When we prepare our hearts to see the Lord, we see the Lord because He wants to give us a glimpse of His glory. He wants you to see Him face to face. That's why He sent Jesus into the world. So through encountering Jesus, we encounter the living God. And we take Him, His precious body, blood, soul, and divinity into ourselves. It's not seeing that leads to believing. It's believing that leads to seeing. Draw near and see the Lord for yourself.